Leadership is taking people on a journey where there is a vision, guidance and purpose. Good leaders lead with the heart as well as the head. Leadership means doing the right thing for the right reason, no matter how difficult it might be. You're listening to Leadership Unwrapped, a podcast where you will hear from people who are living leadership every day. Listener caution is advised. In this conversation, we discuss matters such as harmful sexual behaviour and sexual assault within the context of research and sex education. Please be advised that some listeners may find it upsetting. Hi, Niamh. I'm still deep in thought after the conversation we've just had with Susan. Susan's a teacher who moved into the psychology field, but she still works with children with special education needs. And, you know, just her agency, her courage, just everything about her speaks about values and ethics and integrity. I was really impressed with her. Yeah, since she's moved into psychology, Susan has created a company and we'll put all this information in the bio anyway, but it's called Cyclast. The website is cyclast.ie and it's hugely, a hugely powerful tool that's aimed at equipping educators with the psychological tools that they need to respond to their students' needs in a in a compassionate and a confident way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really important work that she's doing. There's lots of uh, resources there and um, some of them are free as well. So it's definitely worth having having a look but it's just really important and it's becoming more important to be meeting students at where they're at as schools and students lives are becoming more and more complex so to form something like this is really powerful. She's very present when you're with her and typically us we started we said we'd do the podcast for about an hour or that we started talking and we're talking (laughs) hours and hours later but she's a deep listener and there's such an empowering feel of a conversation with her there's definitely more Susans needed in the world. And what she does that I really like at the moment is she offers her time for CPD for teachers and summer courses and across a range. So I'd really encourage if people are interested in this field to find her on Twitter at Cyclass Susan. And she's on LinkedIn as well. She has a lot to offer in helping in the SEN space. Um, Yeah. Listeners, I really hope you get something for this conversation because we definitely did. Yeah. Lots to learn from Susan here. Definitely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. If you are enjoying listening to Leadership Unwrapped, please subscribe or leave a review. It seems that it helps other people find us, so we'd really appreciate it. Hello listeners, we're delighted today to be joined by Susan Crane. Susan is a qualified primary school teacher who spent the first 10 years of her career teaching in a large special school where she also held the role of designated liaison person. She completed a psychology degree part-time while teaching and through her work as DLP became particularly interested in working in the area of child protection. She is weeks away from submitting her master's thesis which is in the area of prevention of peer-on-peer harmful sexual behaviour in special schools. Susan took a career break in 2021 and took up a role as an assistant psychologist on a HSE primary care team where she stayed for a year and a half. She spent the last year working as an assistant psychologist for a specialist service within Tusla for young people who have engaged in harmful sexual behaviour and their families. 
In her role as assistant psychologist, Susan regularly reflected on how useful her psychological training would have been to her in the classroom. She set up her business psych class in 2021, which provides a training for school staff on psychological theory, concepts and strategies to help support students experiencing difficulties with their mental health. She is also a mum to seven-year-old twins. So very busy, Susan. Yeah, very busy, obviously. <laughs> you're very welcome. We're thrilled you're here. Yeah. <laughs> so Susan, I know you described um, your your career journey mm-hmm. as a, a little bit windy. So yeah. do you want to, I know we kind of, we had a little bit of a theory in the introduction, but do you want to just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've, I've out myself right from the start. Yeah. I'm 43 and I'm still like stuck into education big time. I think I've, um, yeah, it was just a very windy path. I mean, mm. I wasn't one of those kids that came out of secondary school knowing what I wanted to do. Um, I spent my first year in UL doing business studies and got as far as April and was like, this is not for me. And had another little shot at another course when I was 20 and that also wasn't for me. So I just, I, I really feel for young people in that position. Like yeah. it was a very confusing time for me. I didn't really know what I was at. So I filled the space by traveling, which was a wonderful oh, good. experience. And I yeah. went off all around the world and had a great time. Yeah, but in China we stopped. We got a job working in primary schools um, teaching English and I just loved it. Yeah. Oh, I loved the little small ones and the junior infants and I was like, this is it. You know. Yeah. So we, we had been offered jobs to stay there actually and there was a little bit of a, I wasn't really sure should I just stay or come back, but I, I wanted to come back and do my degree in, in education and I just thought it was the right thing to do. So came back 2006, I was 26 at that point. And graduated just before the crash. So the oh, year, yeah. Oh, yeah. the year that I came out, there was no jobs. Like there was absolutely no jobs, and I was thinking about going to Dubai and thinking about going to different places. And then just at the last minute, my aunt worked in a in a special school, and there was somebody left, and the position came up. And luckily enough, I I got in there. And it, like special ed wasn't something that I had ever really envisaged myself doing. I was more, I thought it maybe more be like junior infants, senior infants. Yeah, okay. School maybe was where I was going, but yeah. I mean, then again, I'm in the door five minutes, and I'm like, oh, this is it. Like, yeah. I just really loved working with young people that learning difficulties. Um, the little wins, you know. Like, yeah. It, 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 your whole kind of idea of of your goals or your achievements are so different than mainstream. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that's remember true. A little fellow one day, and it took me two years, but he he didn't run to the bus <laughs> he walked to the bus by himself yeah. and it was like I, I remember walking out that day going I'm brilliant at my job yeah yeah it's yeah. like yeah. I finally got that kid to walk to the bus but the, you know those are the little things yeah. you know yeah yeah so 10 years in in special ed then yeah and and it's it's primary and secondary the school yeah, yeah seven years in in the youngest class in school and then I did two years in junior search so um, okay. yeah, they, they did kind of um, foundation and past level junior search so they were the brightest kids in the school and quite capable and really nice to have good conversations with them and um, and then I did LCA for a year which All right. was really nice yeah. I loved that uh, but I always had this interest in psychology. Like even when I was in St. Pat's and I was studying, like psychology was my favorite subject and I was really, really interested in it. Um, and then I guess when I was in Catherine Macaulay, I was working a lot with educational psychologists and clinical psychologists. And I was kind of looking at them and going, oh. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, like the look of that. Like the look of that. Yeah. Like, and and um, 
kind of thought about it and decided to do my degree part-time. Yeah. So I did that with the Open University, which I would highly recommend. Oh, right. It was a really, really positive experience. And I did that over five and a half years, just part-time. And then I got the job as the designated liaison person. And again, then I started working with Tusla. I started working with, you know, um, the Gardaí and all different kinds of people. Yeah. And attending more things like uh, case conferences and you know, working with children that were not experienced abuse and a lot of mental health difficulties. And again, kind of started to think, oh, like, I, I like this space. I like being in this. And even and I, and I, I loved my time teaching. Like, I love teaching. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really enjoy it. But yeah, there was something about really getting down and into the, the thick of that really messy stuff. You know, really, really um, complex tricky yeah multi-layered I just really liked it and um, again was looking at the clinical psychologists and going do you know so yeah I just decided to go for it and good I for you myself yeah for an interview with the panel and I remember thinking they're just going to see me as a teacher you know yeah but I did really well and I got onto the panel and then I, I, I got offered a job in the height of COVID so like when things were really not great in the school, like I jumped ship. Yeah, yeah, it was a tough time <laughs> yeah, though. Into the HSC. Yeah. But you know what's really interesting, and I never let it pass. Like I, I have a, a real, um, I guess, a bone of contention a little bit about this. But everybody was saying to me at the time, you know, oh, are you mental? Like, what are you doing? You're going to leave education and go into the HSE in the middle of COVID? Like, what the? Are you crazy? Like, and the difference was unbelievable. I was so much more protected and safe in the HSE like than I was in school yeah like and that's not a reflection yep. of my school but the experience that I had during COVID teaching mm. in a special school and the trauma those children were going through and like you know we had kids having seizures and you're being told you know two meters away it, like yeah it, it just didn't work no no so yeah. I was just really exposed all the time and then I remember when I went into the HSE it was like wow literally no one is coming close to me and mm-hmm. like everything is spotlessly clean and, and not, not, again no criticism of school it's just it's very difficult to maintain that in a special yeah. school it's yeah. too hard yeah. yeah, and I think that's one of the pieces for me around teachers being late to be vaccinated and all that stuff that went on. And you were kind of saying, this yeah. is just so unfair. This is just so unfair for yeah. for the types of support that this was frontline work too. I thought that was no, really was, striking. That's really interesting that you say that, Patricia, because I was one of the early bands to get that because I was in the HSE, but I wasn't... Um, like I wasn't client facing necessarily like if I met a client it was in a big huge airy room and they were at the other side of the room and we had masks on and we never yeah. got close to each other but my colleagues in school yeah I, yeah I actually couldn't tell anyone of my friends from my work that I had received the vaccine because I felt so guilty yeah mm-hmm. it's like how come I have this and I know what's going on in there? yeah yeah, yeah. it's really very very stark contrast there. yeah yeah mm. very stark contrast um yeah so it was a year and a half then in the hsc and i loved that primary care like i was yeah. kind of going in and out of schools and working with families and like it's a really really lovely place to work um learned so much and then i got um offered a position in tusla with a specialist team so we work with young people who've engaged in harm sexualized behavior so look it's i won't lie to you it's it's hard work yeah yeah Yeah, you hear a lot of very distressing stuff but I guess my research is in that area as well so um yeah it's my it is my dream job I know 
that yeah. sounds strange to some, but I love working with the young people and I love working with their families. The team are amazing. Mm. Like, it's just a fabulous team to work with. And yeah, learning so much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. My next step now is hopefully onto the clinical doctorate. Yeah, well, I was going to say that it would uh, typically mean like PhD yeah. next, yeah, poaching, maybe. Poaching, poaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what can I say? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm hoping to do the clinical psychology doctorate next Brilliant. year here in UL. Yeah, it's a great so programme. Yeah. I'm hoping yeah. I have all my boxes ticked now. I've done what they want me to do. So yeah. all I have to do now is not mess up on the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll yeah. be rooting for you. Yeah, it'll be really, it's a great programme. I know I've worked with some colleagues on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just learned so much from from just working with with the students that are that are colleagues as well, but just supervising research or talking to them about research or even examining some of the projects. I'm like, wow, this is really good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, be cool. Be delighted for you if that happens. Yeah, hopefully. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a hard area to work in the area that you've chosen to work in, and um, I think what I'm thinking as I hear you say that you do that work is that you must have very strong humanistic values that you must really value the human person because somebody who's engaged in behavior uh, that some people would say is just out of bounds it's easy to walk away from that but to actually roll up your sleeves and say how can I help that's a different attitude Um, yeah how do you see that how do you think about that such a good question Um, honestly I think I've always been a bit like that anyway I kind of predisposed to that work um, I always found myself in school kind of being drawn towards the most uh, quote unquote challenging children, you know, the ones with challenging behaviour and yeah. this kind of thing. Like I always kind of, for some reason, felt like I wanted to connect with those children. And like it takes time, it does take time, but I feel like the rewards are huge. Like if you can really connect with a child who thinks that the world hates them, the power in that, and, and you yeah. really see it, but it's long-term work. And I think that's the nice thing about teaching. Like you do get, especially in special ed, you'd often get two or three years with one child. Yeah. So you can do that really deep work. And I think like so much of it is relational. Like, I mean, when I was working as a DLP, I used to get like, I used to get quite worried. And I think this is really something that a lot of teachers feel, right? What if I say the wrong thing? Yeah. What if I do the wrong thing? What if I trigger something or what if they make a really serious disclosure and then I have to and people are afraid yeah I mean of course I felt that now over the years I I definitely felt like more skilled to handle it but it wasn't really until I went into psychology and it's like oh now I'm going to learn what to do and I'm going to know what to say and actually everything I was doing was right because I wasn't saying anything I was just listening Mm -hmm. yeah holding space for this horrific like really terrible stuff sometimes you know and just not reacting to that and just being able to sit in a room and hold that um the difference I think for me between now and what I was back then was I wasn't doing the processing like you know I mean when you go into psychology you get so much kind of supervision and processing work and I wasn't and unfortunately I was taking that into myself yeah yeah I really was and remember my principal used to say to me just and he was great now to be fair um I never took anything home without talking to him like he always made time for me like if, if I was upset about something yeah. a child had said to me and we talk it and I see this is the thing as well with with child protection like you can't talk to anybody oh yeah that's mm. true yeah, yeah so you're holding it all yourself and then I'd go in and talk to him about it we'd have a chat but he's not a psychotherapist or a psychologist yeah. either you know his capacity to help me to process that is limited yeah by the fact that he's not trained to do that but he did his best and um 
but I, I did. I took a lot of that home. You know, mm. I took a lot of that home and I carried that with me for a very, very, very long time. And it wasn't until I got to psychology and I started working with my supervisor okay. and that she was, you know, I started telling these stories and then I'm like, oh my God, like I'm still stuck with this yeah. horrible images. Yeah. So I did a lot of work. I've been, I'm much better now. Like, and, and I guess that's the training, right? That I, I now, it's, it, to be a little bit kind of, I don't know how to, I just thought to say it or whatever. I remember my supervisor saying to me one time, like, you, you, when you have these really difficult conversations and people tell you this really difficult stuff, you, you don't want them telling it to you and it going into you. What you want for it is to stay between you. Okay. Right? So it's like you create this space yeah. to hold the story and you can really hold that and be with that. And they're getting it out of them, but you're not taking it in. So I always kind of visualize that now. Yeah. So even though I can, and I do hear really awful stuff sometimes, I'm able to just hold it in the room, not in me. That's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah. 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 You could train a lot of people on how to do that. We could all do with a bit (laughs) of that, I think. Yeah, because it's very hard not to let the, you know, if you're humanistic and you've you've Mm -hmm. said it's relational. I mean, you started in that space of saying it's relational. So Mm -hmm. it does go in. That's the piece. So it's about being able to create. I'm really impressed with that, being able to create that. I know I've referred to this before with people, but this John O'Donoghue piece of this betweenness but actually holding it in the between rather than in the in yeah, the person. Yeah. I like that idea. I just realized as you spoke, I didn't answer your question at all because I just went off in a rabbit. That's fine. <laughs> no, it's the, the, but the humanistic piece is so mm. important as well. And I think like I always had that intuitively. Like I always, I've just been, I just see people, I think, as whole, you know. Yeah. I always have. But um when you see the cases over and over and over and over and over and over and over, like none of those children are coming into us without extensive history of their own abuse, whether that be sexual abuse or whether it be like emotional abuse or, you know, physical abuse or or, or, or abandonment or addiction or whatever it is, like every single one of them has their story. There's nobody that comes into that room or that, you know, just for assessment that you're like, wow. Yeah. Nothing here. There's always something. Mm-hmm. And it, there's, there's always a route, you know. And I think, like, uh, even though I kind of always felt that way and about the young people that I work with, it, it's the evidence just starts stacking up. Yeah. Stacking yeah. Up and, yeah. Up. and it's directly proportionate as well. Like, not always, but a lot of the time you see that the worst of their childhood experiences generally m- will have, it can correlate to the, to the nature worst behavior. Of their, yeah. Their, um, offending behavior, we'll say, yeah. in some cases. But, not always. It's never as clear cut. Yeah. That's, the huge, that, that's, yeah. that's the whole holistic thing. It is yeah. complex. But I love getting into I love getting into that. Yeah. Trying to pull all of that apart mm-hmm. and help them to Yeah. You know. But it must be hard work. I mean there's high empathy and high relationality and clearly I hear not judgment, but a but a, a supporting way of being, which is kind of getting rare now in the world, I have to say. That must be hard on you energy-wise or just life-wise? Yeah, I think it, it had a really negative impact on me when I started this work. But again, I just didn't, and this is why I, I know I mentioned this to you um, in my email. I feel so strongly that teachers and principals and DLP should be getting supervision. Like, oh, I agree. I, I agree, I, agree, I agree. Really, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to share anything here, nor would I 
the sum of the stuff that I've had to carry over the last couple of years and there was one particular case of a student that I also was teaching and I had that student for two years and really 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 horrendous stuff and to see that on the daily like that impacted me so mm. and I remember one time being at home on Christmas day and not being able to enjoy my Christmas dinner with my children because I was thinking about that right? yeah and what, what do they have a dinner who's looking after them today what's going on mm. you know and like that's that's obviously really unhealthy you know and um but I did I didn't know what to do with that I, yeah. I didn't have any kind of way of saying whereas now if I caught myself doing something like that I'd be like right I need to take this to supervision and I need to look at this because this isn't good for me yeah but I couldn't do that so yeah like I'm much better now I, I very rarely think about like <sighs> I keep them in mind. Yeah. If I am thinking about them outside of work, it's normally more of a kind of a, a positive or maybe a mild concern or I'm not yeah. worrying about them and yeah. like they're in the situation that they're in. I think I think so much, such a big part of my work as well is over time that I've kind of realised I can't save them. Yeah. 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 And I think I was dead into stuck into I'm gonna save these kids at the start and I'm gonna like make sure that She's going to come in here and fix this and I'm going to write this letter and this report. And, and you can't. You, don't, yeah. you can't change it for them. You can support them in changing it for themselves or get them yeah. the facilities or whatever path you can put out in front of them, but they have to walk with themselves. And I think really, really holding that and understanding that and kind of taking that in has, has allowed me to just be like, to let it go yeah Yeah, and to be able yeah. to do the job I think yeah. you know because you yeah. need to be I also am a huge fan of professional supervision I think it's really important for a variety of different reasons mm-hmm. but certainly in that in that type of work even in schools so you know DLPs or, or even principals sometimes who are dealing with really holding a lot of stuff that they know that they can't share with others there should be a space to be able to and it's not a coach it's not a it's it's different yeah. professional supervision yeah. is different Absolutely. yeah and I think you can you can really worry particularly in this type of work right that I, have I done the right thing you know? yeah like have I said the right thing or have I made or am I making the right decision and to not really be able to ask anybody that yeah you know, because you can't talk to somebody about what's going on so yeah yeah you know I've had to make a lot of decisions and and really had to make them on my own and then agonized afterwards about whether or not that was the right thing whereas if I had had personal supervision I could have had that conversation mm. with somebody kind yeah of yeah and I remember being in this really, really, um, this case conference meeting once about this very, very serious case and, and the children were removed from the parents in, in that meeting and the parents were informed and it just went yeah. catastrophically badly. And I remember afterwards we were all sitting around at the table and the, the, the lead social worker said, now, I would recommend that you all take this to supervision and everyone at the table like was like all the social workers and the psychologists and everyone's nodding and I was just Except sitting there on my own going what is that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Do? Yeah. Can yeah. I do that? Yeah. That's just, <laughs> that's, yeah. And I don't think that's fair, you know. No, I don't think that's and fair. I don't think it's unique. I don't think, I, I do think, and actually, I was saying to you earlier, like I did a, a, a recent, part, I'm doing a master's in the area and I did a survey. Um, no, it was specific to special schools because that was my, because I, I, my research kind of shows as well that parental sexualized behavior is much more common in special schools than mainstream schools. It's it's very early research now, so I yeah. can't say that definitively, but this is what's kind of coming out. Um, and 
I did a, re- a survey of 25 principals, DLPs from different schools, and, and this is what they say. This is very, very high. Like, uh, I just have it here. It's, um, when, out of those principals, when I asked, like, have you ever had problems with um, homosexuals behavior in your school, it's 92% said yes. Wow. Mm. And what's even more concerning, right, is that once a term, 40% were saying, and then, like, more than once a week was 9%. Wow, and and there are studies in the UK to show that those figures again correlate a bit. Very early research, no, it's just coming out. But that was my personal experience. Like I was dealing with that constantly, at various levels to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so especially I think for for teachers, principals, DLPs working in you know areas of disadvantaged desh schools, special schools, where the chances are you know like we know that people with intellectual disabilities tend to experience more abuse than. You know, we know. Yeah. So I just feel like even if it was a, a system where kind of similar to the EAS, you know, the employee assistance yeah. service, yeah. if you need yeah. it, it's there. You don't have to take it. But at least, oh my God, I have this really difficult case. Can I just have some supervision? But there's nothing. And if, yeah, like uh, straight up, like that impacted me so badly. That yeah. really impacted my my mental health. And I was really stuck in some very dark cases for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hugely stressful, I think, when you can't talk about you know you can talk about it maybe with a supervisor obviously or you can as far as you can with your your principal if you're in that space but but in terms of that reflective space that's safe for you to just check in with your own thinking and your own decision making and and working out the conduits of where to go you know which is the which is the most appropriate referral here or where do I get the support for this family it's fairly complicated to just have to do that on your own yeah Yeah. you know or to even be in case conferences with these multidisciplinary teams and I'm sure they're complicated too because they're coming from different perspectives themselves and looking at something so yeah yeah Yeah. complicated yeah or even being surrounded by people that aren't aware of it you know like even like within the school setting for example that the other te- all the teachers around you might be aware that there might be some sort of challenges or some sort of difficulties that a student could be experiencing at home for example but obviously would would not know anything that the DLP would know and having that that challenge then you're going home and like the people that you are surrounded by in your personal life have no idea of the difficulties that you're hearing on a day-to-day basis so I think even that sort of creation of an echo echo chamber in your own head almost would be would be challenging yeah yeah it really was like it yeah it 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 became overwhelming like I definitely (coughs) definitely reflecting back on that now like and and the whole saviour piece had a big part in that because I was striving to achieve something that I couldn't achieve Mm -hmm. and I would get very upset and it's really interesting I think because now I work for Tuzla and I used to be so cross with Tuzla (laughs) (laughs) like Tuzla and why are they not fixing this problem and you know like and and now working on the other side of that and seeing the struggles within Tuzla and understanding like the particularly in child protection you know like they really struggle to keep um, so Social workers in child protection because it's it's such difficult work so you often have like young social workers coming out of college going into child protection so they're inexperienced they're kind of getting their first few years there because there's plenty of jobs but then moving on to something that's a little because to be fair when you have children it is hard to come home and 
my job is difficult but it's also I work on a very quiet team you know it's nice you have your you know it's not the same as the experiences that social workers in child protection have like those guys are fighting 50 fires yeah yeah it's it's really hard and I can see that now and I and I work a lot with social workers now we have a multidisciplinary team with social workers probation and and psychotherapists and really really amazing team it's such a cool experience yeah it's that perspective piece and I feel like I have all these perspectives now but like now I can see I can understand like I used to feel like I was being dismissed because the children in my care had intellectual disability, which, yeah. which was happening. They were like, oh, you know, well, yeah, this happened to the, Mary, this to Johnny, but your Johnny doesn't really get what happened. And Mary also doesn't know what she's doing. So we're just going to close the case. Mm. And I'd be like, what? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, you can't. Like, what about there's somebody here who's been really hurt and there's somebody else here who might potentially do this again because there's been no consequences. Yeah. You know, and I used to get so frustrated. But now I can see that really what was actually happening there was like, this, it's the expertise, right? Like you have people who are really experienced and knowledgeable about harmful sexualized behavior, but don't know anything about intellectual disability. And oh, they don't yeah. know how to combine that and they don't really know what to do with it, you know? There's staffing issues, there's just no, you know, and, and now that I know what's above my, you know, they, they can take on so many cases and I know what's above that that it's just a matter if they can't get to it, do you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And is it an area, do you think, that enough people are willing to work in? Are you unique? Um, That's an awful question to ask someone. <laughs> are, you, are you unique? <laughs> I don't mean it in that way, but do you know what I mean? Is it, yeah. is it I mean, it's a really important field in, about, yeah. about um, there's an advocacy piece in your work when you mm-hmm. talk about it that I, that I think is just so impressive. So, um it's an area that needs more time and more research and more people. I'm just, I guess that's what I was thinking when I asked the question. Yeah, like, I mean, I know the job that I applied for, the assistant psychology posts, which are, uh, people want them, right? They're really hard to come by. But uh, my boss told me that there was something like two to 300 applications for that position. So, wow. Wow. So people obviously are happy to work in the area. Now, I don't know how many of them applied because they want an assistant psychology post and maybe were willing to do that in any field. But that would suggest that there's quite a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I like, I, I feel, I feel like, I don't know. There's something, it's, it's a little like, it's a little like special ed. I think if you're in there, the people who are in there are so dedicated. Yeah. yeah. That's very true. Yeah, very true. Really dedicated people and, and really, really, um, yeah. Yeah. And kind, yeah. lovely people to work with, great perspectives. And, and yeah, so, um, but yeah, we, we don't have the services. Like, there's a real shortage of services. There are mm. no, like, I work, I actually work in Dublin. I commute to Dublin. Oh, right. Oh, wow. So I work two days. I work a ha- I, I, part time, but I do my full part time hours over two days. So I get the bus to Dublin. I stay the night and I work the next day and I come back down. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, I guess that, that, yeah yeah (laughs) but that's because there's nowhere for me to work here like there are no like services for that yeah yeah like that's not to say if something happened that Tusa wouldn't respond in another way do you know what I mean yeah but there's no dedicated services like there is in Cork and this you know but yeah it's quite like and that again like that was another realization for me that when I was going you know oh my god like why is nobody coming in here to help me and you know I didn't know that there wasn't any service yeah yeah 
because it's so niche and maybe that's because people don't want to work at it or maybe it's because people don't want to set it up I don't know or what the story is with that but I'd like to set it up <laughs> yeah, well, we encourage you to do that because yeah. I think just generally anyway when we look at that you know, just look back at the teaching of RSE, for example, and the reluctance of teachers to engage. I mean, I know I'm banging on of this for about 20 years, but the reluctance of teachers to engage in that space and the discomfort and the challenges. And, you know, so you're just you're adding another layer to that. But it's already in that space where people are thinking, is it some teachers are thinking, is it safe for me to go in and teach this? Will people make a complaint? Will something be said? Will I be seen as being inappropriate if I mention body parts or I mention actions or whatever it is? And there is still that stigma attached to the work so yeah and add the extra layer that of id and so and harmful behaviors that you're just it's getting really complex then i think yeah and it is it's so complex like and and, and uh, you know you're you're absolutely um singing to the choir yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah um, and I, I, my research is around that just kind of delivering rse to to try to address this because like I think particularly in, in in special education, like there's such an emphasis on like don't get pregnant, don't touch anyone who doesn't who hasn't consented, like make sure that you use protection, you know. But there's very little conversation around like relationships and just, yeah. you know positive relationships and sexual relationships and like they, they go out in the world and they just don't know. Like I mean, it's it's really when you when you're on the other side of this, right? When you have a, a parent coming in who's absolutely distressed because they're boy or girl has done something mm. and it's rips families apart and yeah like and it I would also, imagine so it also brings families together in a lot of ways as well okay. it's really amazing yeah it, it can be very amazing to see them at the end of their journey but um communities as well can become very very yeah respond reactive and, and really astrocytes people this you know you can understand um, those reactions as well but like um, when they come in and you're trying to kick it apart with them like they don't know what they've done this time. they actually don't know because nobody has told them nobody has had that conversation with them mm-hmm. like that's very common and they're learning from porn and they're learning from what they see online and they're learning from how like, yeah. not about him too much but Andrew Tate and all these people <laughs> like they're, they're that's where they're getting that information from yeah. I just think it's so important and I know I, I, this argument is out there all the time now that we're always sexualizing children and should we be talking to fourth class students about porn and like we're not going in going okay guys like let's let's all look at this yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know it's we're trying to say like you will get exposed to this at some point you, a lot of them will already have been exposed by fourth class but if you haven't when you see this like if somebody shows this to you like know that this isn't real know that this is not how women and men behave no you know come to an adult i am here for you i'm not going to judge you you know, and, and there's that shame piece as well. Like they get very embarrassed. Like, yeah. Don't tell a parent, and I don't think yeah. in trouble. Yeah. But like I, I worked with a boy um years ago who'd been exposed to really, really, really like pretty bad, pretty bad stuff, and he had, it was in his head. He was so traumatized, and he carried it around for two years. And when he finally told me, and I could oh, see when, when he was like, and then I saw this, and then I saw this, and then I saw, and, I, and it was, you know, pretty awful. Um. God, it was the relief of getting it out. Yeah. Of just telling somebody, you know, 
But he, and I was like, why didn't you tell someone? He's like, oh, I thought I'd get in trouble, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's the conversation yeah. that I think we need to have. Yeah, yeah. And I think I agree. people don't get that. They're like, oh, we're going to talk about this, that, and that's going to make them look at porn. And, and uh, like, and maybe it will, but they're going to see it anyway. Like, we have to be yeah. realistic. I was at a talk recently, and um, I was at a conference over in the UK, and, and one woman said, like, Pan- Pandora's box is open. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. You can't change it. And yeah. We can't control it. And they all have phones. And even if you're hiding their phones yeah no show them yeah and they do they have I mean there's so much coming at them now and and it's and it's all visual and it's all fast and you know there's just so much that that I feel that the the work that we need to do is about decision making and Mm -hmm. understanding and and being able to differentiate between what is okay and what is not okay knowledge for me in my circumstances and to scaffold that developing way of thinking as opposed to that we don't look at this or or we take away the phones because you can't do that with kids just because they're going to get another one that's just or you lock them and they can unlock them I mean they're geniuses they can figure out how to do this stuff so it's really about building a literacy and um, an agency about decision making about what's okay for someone and if you don't have the conversation how are you going to do that like how are you going to make that space to do that yeah it's yeah. complicated. It is yeah. very complicated. And I understand because, I mean, realistically, we have to consider the sex ed that the teachers who are currently in schools have received, right? So, if you, you know, I mean, uh, one of the things that children say to us about sex ed is that teachers are very uncomfortable. Not all teachers. Some teachers are amazing. Mm. But that it's really awkward getting sex ed from a teacher who feels very uncomfortable. Yeah. Clearly uncomfortable. But, like, why is that teacher like that? Because that teacher received sex yeah. ed that was really uncomfortable or no sex ed. Yeah. So it's a legacy thing. And it's, like, I think there has to be compassion and understanding for teachers in this. Yeah. Because I really think that they're being asked to do a lot now. Mm-hmm. This new RSE program is yeah. coming in. They're being asked to do a lot. And I'm all for it. I'm absolutely for every bit of it. And I think we should cover it all. And I know that there's a lot of... Yeah, there is. That. Quite a bit. Yeah. I could get a major bash yeah. for that. And I'm okay. I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but at the same time, like that is a lot to ask. It is. Teachers to do. Yeah. Because you have to be comfortable in that space and it's very hard for somebody who who doesn't have experience to stand up and talk about something as complex as trans and non-binary issues yeah it's really hard thing to talk about it's very complex yeah and I think some I think there's a fear of getting it wrong too it's not all about saying I don't want to it's there's a fear of saying I could say the wrong thing or I could get it wrong and hurt um yeah and what would happen if I got it wrong would 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 people be angry would students be angry would parents be angry we've seen that played out in the media in the last in the last couple of years of some teachers not wanting to go there or having clear value basis for what they want to do or parents or children having clear value basis about what they want to do so we don't yet know I think ourselves what is the right way but I like you say my take on this is if it starts with compassion and allowing people to express how they understand themselves in their world. If we start there with respect, basically, for mm. that, the rest will follow. Yeah, I agree. The rest will follow. It's not rocket science after that. If the if the dignity of the person is at the centre yeah, and their vision of themselves is at the centre yeah. of that, whatever your own personal values are, yes. the overriding value should be the person's own self-concept and dignity in that space. Yeah. I don't know. That's That's where I've arrived at. I agree with you like a lot and I think about this a lot right because my own children are in school and yeah you know, these things are going to come up yeah and, I, and the thing is is like you have again we have to have empathy for the parents as well mm-hmm. right? because 
we don't know the reasons why somebody might be so against this or what yeah. you know and even though I completely disagree you have to be able to go okay so I think for teachers like I, I <laughs> thinking about this and if I was back in the classroom and delivering this program I bet you I'd get et by one parent going yeah. We're not allowed to talk about this in school and I don't want my child to have any of, of this RC. And I'd have another parent going in going, you better do every single thing yeah. on that. Yeah, and if you leave yeah. That absolutely. Head, my child's not in getting an education. And and both of those parents are entitled. It's their child's yeah. education that tell yeah. those opinions. But the teacher is the one at the classroom door or the gate who's potentially going to be exposed to this no matter what they do. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's really hard. And then I wonder how much space is being provided to really explore this to be able to say okay if and when this happens how do I manage this how do I hold it how do I respond yeah what do I do yeah. and if we're not going to have those conversations oh it's you know yeah but I'd imagine it's a hard thing to manage even within the classroom before you start thinking about the parents and those external factors as well to everything outside of that one room because even like I'm biology teacher so even teaching reproduction and like the very scientific aspects of sexual reproduction you find the students are like my experience of it is they have more questions about that chapter yeah. than any other <laughs> yeah. chapter in the rest of the curriculum you know what I mean and, and, and it shows I suppose their like their their desire to learn about it you know because while we're in an age where there's so much exposure and there's so much out there there's so much misinformation out there and you, you know it it it's a space where you can see obviously that it's the time it's a time in their life as well and they're they're curious about it and they're wanting to know more about it but there can be very different reactions from students even to the very scientific aspects of sexual relations. Like I've been in rooms where there's been students that can't cope with the thought of talking about this. They're dying for the chapter to be over. And there's other students that will be putting up their hand and you're like, are you joking? Ask me this question now. Or are (laughs) you actually, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. You know, so you get all sorts of reactions even within the classroom and trying to manage that space and then not to mind everything everything that's going on around that which is huge as well you know so it's there's lots of layers to the management of that well it might be interesting to say um how did you manage it like what what? i'm just curious so I would be I would be the type of person that would be like right this is the students are asking even if I'm kind of like right are you asking this question now just trying to like get a reaction or trying to do whatever but it's it's a space for them as long as it was related to what we were doing and it's related to kind of what they needed to know I would engage in that you know because I think that they're they're asking the question because they don't know the answer to that question Um, and now you know I suppose that my experience hasn't been that they've gone you know too far off topic we'll call it you know what I mean so that might be a different I I might react differently I suppose if it went too far in one direction but like what I found is even when I'm saying that they were asking loads of questions they were still very relevant to what it was that we were talking about. You know what I mean? And what I what I found surprising about the whole thing is that they I was surprised at some of the questions and how little they how little knew, I know. Yeah. How little understanding yeah. they had about it. Yeah. Um because this is obviously second level education that I'm talking about, yeah. you know. Um and I guess I would have um 
thought that they would have known more because of the fact that there's more exposure and there's more information out there. The fact that, you know, everyone has phones and everyone, you know, we're, we're saying that all this information is out there. But that's what I guess I mean by there, there's so much misinformation out there yeah. that is being accessed more regularly. They're not getting what they need. To what get. they need, yeah. yeah. They have huge information about all sorts of mental stuff, like... But yeah, those are really important pieces. But my research, my master's research is all around this. And there's a big, I designed this program and like the first is, the first huge chunk of it is about that, right? About managing those emotions. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's even that, that, that child that you've described that's like dying, you know, they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, oh like let God, me out of here. Let me out of here. Like, I mean, that child is really struggling in that. That's, mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and why is that? And what's brought them to that place in their life, you know, in his personality or history or whatever. And I, I, I always started, like, I taught RC obviously figures as well. And um, I always started with naming that like, yeah. and giving space to that and being like, okay, I can see that this is really, really hard for you. And, you know, I, I always kind of started with, like, some people will pull their hoodies up over yeah, their heads. Yeah, exactly. Some people will die and some people will ask me horrendous questions yeah. and some people will laugh and some people will be messing and some people, and I, all of that is fine. I'm actually totally okay yeah. with all of that mm-hmm. because it's a normal reaction. Yeah. And I didn't never try to shut it down. And it's so interesting then that when it came up, I'd always go, okay, all right, yeah, this is it's pretty funny. I just said whatever, you know, that's funny. Yeah. And we'd laugh and then we'd let it roll over and then we'd get back to the lesson. And I found that the more you do that and the more that you yeah. come it in, then it just, it just diffuses it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Same. Powerful. Yeah. Same experience. Yeah. And, 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 and like, obviously, right, your students felt safe coming to you and you'd created a space by however over the months previous to that. But like, if you can create that space for them, as you're saying, they'll ask questions, but they don't, like they won't overstep the boundaries. And I, I always said to them as well, I was like, you can ask me anything you want, any question at all. Like, I don't care as long as it's not something personal about my life mm-hmm. and it's not disrespectful to anybody and I will answer it. Yeah. And I have been asked questions that I think a lot of teachers would go, oh, I don't really want to answer that question. But I, I go, okay, that's a hard question. And Okay, and I'd, I'd give them the answer. Yeah. And I would, and I would never hold that information back for them. And some of those questions would, you know, yeah. a bit risque, I would say. But <laughs> again, sometimes I say, I don't have that answer. Yeah. But I'll go and I'll get that information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I'll get you the number of an agency that can answer it better than I can. But I think the minute you put that space into the classroom, yeah. the whole it's safer. It's safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's safer for you as yeah, well. Yeah, it is. Because you get to put your boundaries in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, what I found, what I find difficult is because like when you're teaching biology you're teaching the scientific aspect of it and that's what the class is supposed mm-hmm. to be on and that's what the curriculum is there for so but but obviously when you open up that space it's kind of like oh this, okay we're talking about this now like do you know what I mean but I found that it would nearly I would nearly find it easier to be in a situation where you're talking about all aspects of it if you know what I mean because like there's there's a difference in when you're supposed to be focusing in on the physical aspect and then if students are curious obviously and I'm not saying that you can separate them that clearly but that's what the curriculum is and that's what you're supposed to be talking about in that time so I found that a little bit difficult yeah yeah and I guess like again it's like that's probably it's just the way it is it's not a 
criticism, but the way that we divide it up into little pieces, that's, mm-hmm. that's not your fault or biology's fault. Or, yeah. We do, we yeah. Tend to do that. We tend to it's say... It's a discrete like, subject piece. You know, because um, in my research, one of the, the bits that came back from, from um, a teacher was, like, could you not just do all the sex bit in two days and then do the rest of it, like, separate to that? And I'm like, how, like, do the relationship bit separately? How do you how do you separate sex from a relationship? You can't. Yeah. Not, can we be realistic here? Like that's they're, yeah. they're not. So and I get you. And I, I mean, really, I suppose what I'm talking about here is more the RSE teacher would be doing. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's good even to see you being just even to see the biology teacher being totally relaxed about this. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. It's yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it. It's from like a parent point of view that I would have found that difficult because they're expecting in that part of the curriculum that you're talking about this and in, uh, you know, a different yeah, subject you're talking about this. So it's yeah. like you're trying to uh, work in that space, <laughs> which is, yeah. which, which, yeah, yeah, can be challenging. Yeah, and, uh, it's really interesting because this is a, this is the exact same type of conversation we were having in the 90s when I was teaching and doing this work as well and 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 I remember you know when we would do the classes I, w- I would I would say to the and this is my piece about the whole school actually because I would say to the principal this week now I'm going to be focusing on this we probably will get a phone call you know it is either going to be what you've described is either going to be that I'm not doing it enough or I'm doing it too much so just in case that happens I'll just let you know that that's that's this week's part of my scheme of work is going to be this and that was brilliant because she was very and and it was a, it was actually a Catholic school. She was a nun that was our school principal, but she was very broad-minded and understanding. And her belief was that we should have as much knowledge as we can, and also have the development of our thinking and our decision making and our agency. She was really strong. She was an amazing woman. I've talked about her before, but so she'd say, "Okay, just let me know what you're going to be doing." And and but she would also say, "Does the biology teacher know that that's what you're covering this week?" And does the whatever. So that there was this almost like cross-curricular piece, not that the biology teacher is going to be talking about it, but knows that when they're teaching that piece, that actually there's another piece going on in the, it was always in the religion class, ironically enough, that we were teaching RSE, which was a bit weird, but but um, that it was happening, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and she was very kind of whole school in her thinking, but it sort of made you feel that you weren't alone in the work. Um, and the other piece for me around it that I think I developed was, you know, when I started teaching, I thought the measure of a good teacher was the control of the classroom and people didn't question you and you delivered your content and they learned it and they produced it in the exam and weren't you brilliant, you know. And it was really when I thought more reflexively and I said, I don't like teaching like this, actually, because I'm not, there's a disconnect between me and the kids. I don't like that. Um, but when I began to see none of this is about me, actually, at all, this is about a piece of, of, of work that's important for all of us to have so that these children can make informed decisions as they move through their life. They know what's right for them and they know what's not right for them and they know what feels comfortable and what doesn't and they know where to go to be safe. That was my thing about it. Once I I started to think of it in that way, I was never bothered. I mean, people could say anything to you, but like you, I would say once it was respectful, um, it can be funny and it can be risque. That's not the end of the world. But once I don't feel like you're coming at me personally... um, and sometimes you'd even say the wrong thing yourself and you'd fall around the place laughing going, yeah. I can't believe I said that. Yeah. You know, and the kids would be like, Ooh, oh and you'd have that fun. But once it was less about your authority, that you weren't, once you'd 
sort of got rid of that way of thinking, it became so much easier to teach the subject. Absolutely. And less, more, it was more fun. I mean, I think I laughed more in RSE classes than in any of the classes that I thought. Yeah. And it was good. It was, but there was a growing up on it, I think, about how to be as a teacher and how I thought about power and how I thought about, because sometimes it's really hard to teach, you know, if you have 20 people in a class and somebody down there is talking to, even now, if you go in to give a talk and you're two people down there are talking in the corner, you could think that person is talking about me and they don't like what I'm saying. Yeah. Or it could be that they're saying, I fell off my bike coming into school this morning. I have an awful pain in my leg. Yeah. Completely unrelated to you. But you could project something else mm-hmm. happening in a room that isn't happening in that room mm-hmm. unless you have kind of worked out that piece about your power positioning. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. an awful lot of sense. Like, I think I had that that kind of that maturing that maturing in yourself even because I remember the first time I ever had to do like sex out for teenagers when I went to the secondary school like I was dreading it mm. I was really like oh my god and I have to say this now and they're all mm. going to laugh and, and I mean that's my education as well and that, that I'm carrying that from previous generations yeah but hopefully I'd like to think I did learn and I did kind of and then you kind of yeah you get I actually found that every time I did RSE with a class, it, it kind of fused the class a little yeah, bit more. Yeah. We were a little bit closer because it was. So I felt the same. I felt the same. Yeah, and then after that was done, then you really had that. I don't know, like that lovely classroom atmosphere or whatever that that you're trying to create all year, and then eventually you get it, and then you have this nice, safe environment. Mm. And I always felt that that added to it. But yeah, my own growth in that, like in realizing. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. I think that the education that you get is, is a lot like about yeah. control base. But I always think I would talk to a lot of parents in my work and um, particularly when I worked for the HSE where, where it's like, I'm really concerned or teachers and they're like, I'm really concerned like he's got, you know, anxiety or challenging behavior or whatever it is. And I'm just really worried because he's not getting his English done and he's falling behind in his maths and he's da, 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 da. And, you know, so many times you have to say like, but is that the priority right now? Mm. Or is the priority handling the fact that that he's having panic attacks at yeah. school. Cause we can do the maths and the English. I'm not saying forget about it. We can do that. But can we just put it aside for one minute mm. and just let it lie? And let's focus on the fact that they're really struggling emotionally. And let's put all of our effort into because they can't learn when they feel No, you that, can't. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, for me, it's it's a lot of that. Like I find myself saying that in, in, in my work at side class, saying that to teachers a lot. Cause, and and it comes from the best of places. But it's that education that we have, that the most important thing is that you get your English done. The most important thing is that you finish the book by the end of the year. The most important thing is that you have all your jolly phonics done. Or, yeah. And it's, but the most important thing to that child yeah. is, is how they're feeling every day coming in. And if you can help with that, isn't that so powerful? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't get that training. Yeah. No. And I think in the, in the way that the, in the way that our world is moving, which is about making sure that we get everything done so that we can get to the next development stage, so the next moving on to secondary or moving into the exams or moving into the university. And this is the curriculum you need with all the credits to do this so that you can be that. There, We're losing space for that piece of non-measurable. I mean, it is happening. And I think teachers are, there's huge pastoral care happening mm. among mm. many teachers. Absolutely. I won't say all, but among many, there, yeah. there is. But... I think they're getting more and more squeezed for the space to do that work. Yeah. I think it's getting harder for them. 
Yeah. And it's a lot to hold. Yeah. It's a lot to hold. And I think anyone who's been in the classroom with a child who's really distressed and very and really, really struggling. And I'm sure actually some of your listeners are probably listening to this now and thinking, that's me. Yeah. I've been that teacher. It is a hard place to be. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. It is a really hard place to be when you see a child in your class who's really struggling and you don't know how to help them. Mm. And you're trying your best. And I see it all the time. Teachers get upset talking to me after I do. I say, if I want to come ask questions afterwards, and they come up and they start crying. I can imagine. Yeah, they say, I don't know what to do with him, and he's this and he's that. And I just, and you just, you could see the, even the anxiety in the teacher that like, you know, wanting to help and not knowing how. Yeah. And, you know, that's something else I'd love to see. I'd love to see more of that. And I know it's, it's again, you know, you have to have boundaries as well. Like we're not, we're not psychotherapists, we're not counsellors. Schools should have a counsellor. Every school should have. I agree. And a chaplain. And a chaplain. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think both. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I do. And I think, and actually, here's my, another big bugbear I'm going to give out about this now that I have everyone listening. (laughs) Okay. As as special schools, we don't get a a counsellor where a secondary school would, right? Because it's a special school. Wow. I did not know that. more of a reason why we need a counsellor in the school because ID and and mental health issues go hand in hand. I get they're, they're totally... I never knew that. Yeah, we don't. We don't get a homeschool liaison officer either. And yeah, you don't get any of that because the idea is that a special school is kind of, we have, we're more resourced because we have more SNAs and we have this, that or the other. But that's, that's not how, what it feels like on the ground when you have 11 children with special needs and you have half an SNA that you share with the teacher next door. And all of these kids just came from a school where every single one of them had their own SNA. So anyway, I could go on about this. Wow. Yeah, okay. That, that piece, like we had no, we had no therapist in our school. We had no counsellor. And we had a school, like a very, very big school with over 200 students. That is frightening. Yeah, and, yeah. and we're not alone in that. So, yeah, that's, that's just my gripe about that. But I feel like all schools should have that access because it shouldn't be up to teachers. Now, unfortunately, when you're in the classroom and you have a child in that situation, again, not all teachers, but a lot of teachers are going to do whatever they can. And I know they're at home at night on their laptops Googling, mm-hmm. how do I support a child with ASD? Yeah. How do I support a child with, oh, you know, anxiety or yeah. trauma? Um Definitely, because we see it too with the students here in the university when they when they come back from their school placement, their practicums. That is the conversation. It's like there was a lot more than 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 we realized. And I, you know, okay, we did the modules, but we need a lot more than that. And you're kind of you know that what you're giving isn't it's enough in one level, but it's not enough at a whole other level. Yeah. So and they too they come and you listen to them and they say I went and I got this or I did this or I spoke to this person and they led me to contact that agency or. So they're doing a huge amount of that type yeah. of work themselves yeah. too. And that can be very overwhelming. Yeah. Like, you know, because particularly for student teachers or teachers going out, uh, you know, shortly after graduating, you're trying to find your feet in so many levels mm. in the classroom. And then, you know, trying to take that on board, particularly now, like I know COVID has highlighted an awful lot of challenges that students are having that are potentially some caused by COVID but an awful lot of them just exacerbated by yeah, COVID yeah. and this this has really brought it to the forefront we'll say like anxiety for example yeah. like this, even a sense of belonging we know so that big. students are having huge challenges around that as well so like now more than ever yeah, it's it's difficult 
I don't think it's just the students that are struggling oh, with the belonging. No, no. Actually, I think the staff are too, yeah. and we're we're not saying it, but I think there are teachers who are struggling with belonging yeah. in the work, and I think there are in higher education a lot of colleagues too who are struggling with that connected piece. So, um, yeah, this is a bigger one. Yeah, it is, and I think kind of circles back to what we were saying at the start about supervision as well. You know, it's not like. We see it all the time, and we know it. And we we all work in education, right? The teachers and people say it's vocation. I personally don't like that word myself. I don't think it's fair, but nonetheless, this is reflective of how much teachers give of themselves personally yeah. to the job, right? And you're going online without any real proper training in mental health and pulling things down off the internet and delivering them in a classroom and doing the best that you can under the circumstances. But like a psychologist would you know, is supported in that. It's, you know, a psychotherapist is supported in that, a social is supported yeah. in that work. Yeah. And teachers are not being supported in that work. So it's like, it's great that we do it. It's admirable. But what, who's looking after the teacher? Yeah. And then yeah. it's actually in my research where I did that survey and I asked principals, what, what's actually happening is a lot of those teachers are going to the principals and the principals are holding that. They're holding the child who's in distress. They're holding the st- staff. They're holding the parents who are in distress. They're holding all of that. And who is helping the principal? Oh, whole other story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. So it's like this chain, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that was one of the things for me about COVID that I found so difficult when we were at home and you were listening about the criticism of teachers during that time. And like, there's, there was just, no, I don't know, every school is different, I don't know, but it was... There was a lot to hold in that time. Oh, yeah. yeah. An awful lot. And really, it was all about the children and it should be about the children. And I am absolutely 100% child-centred in it every time. The child should be at the centre. But that's not to ignore everybody else. Yeah, I agree. Either. Yeah. Do you know, and, and I think that used to really upset me when I was like, you know... You don't know. It's very hard. It was, it was, and it still is hard. Yeah. You know? But we saw it also. It, you're, you're absolutely right. And I agree. Um, and I do think the way that the way that we talked about in the media, that we talked about teachers and their work, I, I really sometimes it, it yeah. really upsets me, actually, the way because I would challenge anyone to be in that role and to do the work that they do with all of that energy and all of that work and all of those outcomes being met all the time and then to do that in post-primary maybe nine times with nine different groups and then to go home and, and yeah. do the next bit and prepare for the next day and do all of, so there's all of that I'm on a rant but I, yeah. I certainly do feel strongly about that but we also saw what happened to leaders in that time you know so leaders school leaders became the be all and the end all and had to had to you know, completely turn everything around, lead people to work in ways they'd never worked before, become contact tracers and and minders of all of the environment and space, and then get all the messages on a Sunday or a Saturday late to say for next week, this is the policy that you need to do on X, and to have to mobilize all of that again. It was, you know, it was, it beggars belief at some level. You know, it had to happen. That, that's crisis. But but I think the long-term impact of that is we're only going to begin to see now, mm-hmm. to start to see now. I think it's going to be there for a while. Yeah, it's interesting. And we see. I think we. See, I think we see it already. Like there's an exodus of teachers. Like mm. yeah, I'm gone. I'm not there anymore. I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. So an exodus of teachers from teaching at the moment, and we can't get people to sub, and we can't. That's true. And yeah. On top of that, we have 
this whole epidemic of school avoidance, which was not really ever talked about prior to this. I mean, it existed. I had a couple of kids that had school avoidance, so anxiety-based school avoidance. But it's skyrocketing. Yeah. And, and and I do think that's, that's there's a huge emotional, relational belonging piece. Yeah. 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 And we can, as always, put all the strategies and programs in here and do this and do that. Mm. But like, if we don't address the core emotional real psychological things now but I think it's important and it's good to be having these conversations because and to be aware of them to be understanding of it you know I mean you can look at school avoidance or and and just judge Mm, and say in my day you wouldn't you like you would have had to just you know and that doesn't help anyone ever so there's a complication in all of that too I think it's important tell us a bit about I know I'm saying this and you're you're in the middle of it, but the outcomes of your research. Tell us a little bit about what your. <sighs> I mean, I love I love asking someone like in one sentence. Tell us about all of those years of work you have just done. But yeah, it's very early. Like it's really exploratory. There's not much yeah. in the area of um, you know harmful sexualized behaviour, peer on peer kind of in, in special ed and all of wow. that. Right, it's very new. Does anybody chat? I jumped in and I apologise, yeah, but. Um, has anybody asked you, like, why are you doing that? Or has there been any reaction to that work? I tend not to tell people. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, That's you, the you answer. Get really, like, people get instantaneously uncomfortable. Mm. Um, I think it's partly to do with the fact that I said sex. And then I said, like, you know, I implicate, implicate uh, sexual abuse. And then also I say yeah. OD. So that's a lot for people to kind of mm. process. And I just find it makes other people uncomfortable. But I was at a conference there last week. The NOTE conference is the National Organization for the Treatment of Abusers. Mm. And it, every I've been there before. It's my second time going. And it's just great because people go, what do you do when you can say? Yeah. And they're yeah, all like, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Going, oh, my God. You know what? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I tend not to tell people, generally speaking. I just say I do it. It's on sex ed in special, All right. in special ed or something like that, um, and people don't tend to ask much more after that. But um, yeah, like I mean, the whole point of my research was to kind of, I suppose, dip my toe in and see what I wanted to do was just to create a program because we don't really have any resources in special ed for sex ed that are really appropriate. So I wanted to create a resource. Hmm. Um, so I delivered the program and I was hoping to assess it, but unfortunately, um, yeah, look, inter you. Know, I didn't get much data, I would say. And I guess that, I, I think, and, and it's just my own belief, but I feel like teachers are reluctant to engage in kind of qualitative research. Like, people are happy enough to tick a box and say, yes, I found the resources good, or I found this. Yeah. To actually kind of dig down into this emotional piece that we're talking about, I think people are afraid to do it because... If there's so much lack there's just no clarity about anything mm-hmm. you know we don't even like I, I even think that the, the curriculum is confusing like what are we doing are we talking about this where do I stop where's the boundary mm-hmm. yeah. Like, well, yeah I'm in a Catholic school so can I say that yeah I, I mean I had those experiences and, and I'd be really yeah me too to, you know yeah. we all have that so I think teachers are reluctant to really dig down into it that's just my theory yeah but um, I believe that when I do my PhD <laughs> <laughs> and we shall be watching <laughs> I, I, that's what I'd rather focus on this time I think I, I think I skipped a big step I think I went charging in there and what did the teachers think and what did the parents think and what did the kids think where I, I think what I should have been doing was like let's just look at where we're at before we do this and I'd like to get do a participatory kind of a 
mm. study with teachers and try to get them involved in designing the measures and the, the, the program and really get stuck in with a group of teachers who are interested Yeah, and say, can you talk about how we feel about talking about this? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So any schools out there interested? <laughs> yeah, no, and we'll, we'll come back to that. I know because I know... You'd be a, knocking. <laughs> but it's a very long time ago that we did the RSE study. It's a, God, it's, a, it's over 20 years now, but... Um, and we were trying to figure out a lot in that time, but we had to go back to, can we just talk about what what we feel about the reluctance piece before we actually talk about what's what's actually happening in the schools? And it took way longer than we expected because it was bigger than we expected. But... Uh, and. Um, and this is, I mean, you're, this is a forging of new ground because it's not the same, but from our own work in, in bullying and incivility, like it can be, I'm really interested to get behind the mindset of somebody who knowingly subjugates someone else, who knowingly sets out to say, you know what, I'm going to take you down or I'm going to, you're too big for your boots or, you know, and they know in their soul they're doing it. You know, there, there is, I know I have... I have resisted for a long time the label of intention in the definition of bullying because I do believe you can do it unintentionally, but mostly it's intentional. But I do think it's too exclusive and I have resisted it. But there's a piece of me that wants to go in there and see hard population to find. Nobody's going to say, Patricia, hello, I'm the biggest bully of the century. Interview me. I will get a great time to talk to you. So it's hard to get these people in the first place. Um and there's all the ethical questions of getting approval to get out to do that work, which is which is a bigger issue. But for your work then, which is, you know, even further in that space, so it's peer to peer and there is abusive behaviours in it and there is ID in the piece as well. Really complicated yeah. and courageous space to go into for as a researcher. Long winded way of yeah. saying that. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what's what's so interesting as well is like even even teachers' understanding of that peer and peer piece, right? So the research at the moment in the UK have a lot more done than us. But roughly speaking, 33% of children who come in and report that they've experienced sexual abuse have been abused by another child. Would you be aware of like? No, I wasn't yeah. aware of that. Yeah, so I think in our industry, we know that the majority, like a large proportion of the boys and girls that we work with um, in my service have abused a sibling or a family friend mm. and um, I know this is a difficult conversation it is, yeah. to have yeah. but like when I I don't know how many times I've been to school and been like this is you know I'm, I'm interested in the peer and peer and they're like but what about like, would you not be thinking about what about the uncle or what about the you know or the, the adult or the stranger or, you know like yeah. the traditional model and actually what we know now from research is that it the peer on peer bit is is really big, yeah. And then even within that peer on peer piece, if we look at that third roughly, this limited research again. But you're talking forty percent of those have intellectual disability. Wow. In and around. Um, wow. So I'm trying to add to that research, but yeah. try and build up those numbers so that we can maybe now that the thirty three is pretty. That's the NSBCC figure on it. Yeah. But the you know the the ID bit is less less researched, but like and and, and I guess trying trying to get teachers to understand that because it's 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 often missed. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, we don't yeah, see it. yeah. And um, just as traumatic, obviously. Absolutely, course, yeah. Absolutely. Even you know the trust. And that's, yeah. Uh, so. Um, but also, yeah, I do think there is a there's a piece in your work for me 
that has driven my own work about starting the conversation, opening up the space. That's been a big thing in my early work on bullying. It was about starting the conversation. My, I started looking at bullying among teachers and staff because we actually needed to have the conversation that it was really, really happening. And it was really hard to name it and get support. And it still is. But it's the same in this piece about just it's happening. And, and in order to get in there to support children, we've got to name it to tame it, to use that phrase, but we've got to get into that space of doing that. I think that's really important. Yeah. Another interesting statistic, you know, there's an organization called One in Four. They work with, oh, yeah. um, you know, victims or survivors mm. of abuse. Uh, and that's one in four. They say one in four people in this country have experienced mm. some kind of sexual abuse. So, I mean, I'm cognizant that they're, you know, we probably have to put a trigger warning. It's yeah, we'll need to do this, I think. To do that. But um, when you're going into a school and you're saying, OK, everybody, here's the stats and everybody needs to know like one in four in that room are going to have some kind of an experience. And I just I keep coming back to that compassion piece. It's so easy for us to say, excuse me, and I know none of us would be doing that, but the, the yeah. larger kind of conversation around, we need to do this, we need to do this, schools should be doing this, parents should be doing this, you know, I mean, all of that, under all of that, there's a lot of hurt people. Absolutely. And a lot of traumatised people. Yeah, and we have to tread so carefully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I've I've said this before, and I certainly try and do it in my leadership when I'm when I'm working with our own teams. But I say the, I use you've said it better than I do. But the phrase that I use is I'm never speaking into a vacuum. There's a whole person with a whole range of life experiences in yeah. that moment that when I talk about something, I'm speaking into. So you know, it's like when I listen to the to the jokes. You know, that, that there was one comedian that was making rape jokes and I was absolutely sick to my stomach listening to it because at one level, somebody thinks that's humorful. But at another, there's somebody who's listening to that, that that's just gone right into the solar plexus and just brought up so much. But the people around them in that room have no idea that that's actually what's happening in that moment. That's the one end of the continuum. But another might be around something to do with connection or lack of connection or loss or anxiety or pain or grief or whatever it is so every moment we're in in conversation with other people is going into a much deeper set yeah. of experiences that I'm completely unaware of yeah so so that's the piece we need to also think about as as teachers and as leaders and as you know yeah. so that makes the whole job much more complicated mm -hmm. it does so no, again just to go back to that it's an awful lot to ask people yeah it's a huge thing to ask people you know and and sometimes you're put in a position where you don't really have a choice but to respond yeah um, and I think making there's so many I mean we, we use these words in in um almost trite ways sometimes we talk about psychological safety or making but actually if we're seriously mm. meaningful about that it just means that I'm really present and and humanistic in every conversation I have with people yeah. and that's a big standard to put on to ourselves cause, but but we have to be because yeah. and once but I, and we said this earlier if you start there everything else mm -hmm. will fall into place in ways we'll be able to find the route through to get the supports that are needed but you've got to start in that respecting of the whole you use the phrase the whole person yeah. which I like and mm. it's starting with that whole person mm. vision I think yeah I agree yeah. I agree yeah
Yeah. Yeah. So, Susan, tell us a little bit about Cyclass. I know we might oh, have... Oh, yeah, you do. I know, we got out a bit. We got... Uh, yeah, go on. Tell well, us about we, this. We did talk, I suppose, in a way, a little bit about probably what I assume some of the motivations yeah. <laughs> behind it. But, yeah, just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, Cyclass... Um, it's funny, actually. I, I I always think of this one friend of mine. If he's listening, he'll know who he is. <laughs> he's a coach, and um, I guess it's interesting part of my journey, and this links in with. Le- I wouldn't consider myself a leader as yet, but I like to think I am on my path. But there was a big moment for me in in side class where I was talking to this friend of mine, and he was saying. Um, like I was like giving out because I'm so broke I'm so broke I'm an AP and my salary is terrible and I have no money and I have two kids and I have to pay my mortgage and blah, 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 blah. and he's like so why don't you just do what I do like why don't you just you know start doing something like what I do and I was like but I'm not a coach and he's like yeah but you've got a psychology degree and I was like oh no no I can't I can't do anything like that until I have my clinical psychology because it's like unethical and he's like yeah well could you not do something similar or whatever you know and I was like no 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 I have and I had really put this block in front of myself where it was like I can't work as a psychologist until I am a clinical psychologist and that's that's this barrier and and it's fear-based right I was so afraid Mm. of doing something without having like fully 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 qualified so he kind of had this conversation with me and he was asking um like, what do you think you you have? Like, what would you like to share with the world? I mean, you, he's like, you've been in college your whole life. God sake. Yeah. <laughs> I know, like, he's yeah. one of these eternal students. And I was like, well, actually, when I'm working, I often think, God, I wish I knew that when I was in the classroom. And he was like, oh, why don't you say that to teachers? Like, why don't you share that information with teachers? And I was like, oh, I can't, I can't. I have to be a clinical psychologist. And he's like, no, you don't. Like, stop. He's, he's, he's a real coach, you know. I love that. Like, step into your power now. Love it. Like, just step into your power now and be who you want to be now. Like, why are you putting this barrier on yourself? And it was such a, you know, that you have these real, relation, what's it? Revelationary yeah. moments. I was like, yeah, why am I doing that? So then I was like, okay. So I started thinking about it and I just said, I just I said it to my husband and he was like, why don't you just make some podcasts or webinars and just throw them up on LinkedIn and see what happens and I did and Catherine oh yeah uh, yeah brilliant um, so she was the first person so she's such an amazing woman yeah brilliant yeah Yeah. I love um, them Rachel and Catherine yeah Catherine absolutely just such mentors and supportive women and definitely make it easier for people like me to to step into my power and brilliant so she did she booked me and it went really well and then she recommended me again next thing it was kind of tipping away and it was like oh you know what it seems like people are interested in this so I set it up and I started brilliant business and got a website and all of that so what I do is like just what we've been talking about here yeah. I guess it's just I, like I, I, I'm not a clinical psychologist so I'm not providing <laughs> therapy I'm not assessing anybody I don't give specific information on specific children I'm happy to give general advice to people if they message me mm-hmm. but um what I do is it's the real basic psychoed stuff, right? It's like the empathy, the connection. Brilliant. And I, I go to schools and I just give a rundown psychologically. What is anxiety? And then how do you manage that in the classroom? And I think what makes me different and I hope that what makes my presentations good is that I get it. Yeah, I know yeah. what it's like. I'm not yeah. handing anyone a program because I know the teachers don't have time to do programs. Like I'm like, okay, so when a child is having a meltdown, this is what you do. This is how you respond. So yeah, like I, I, I've been doing that for the last 
year and a half I was Brilliant. in a school in Kilkenny yesterday with lovely staff and it was really good and um, and, and there's that lovely sense of connection yeah. mm-hmm. even in, in that I tried to create that in my my webinar or my with some of there's some of them in person and some online um, but I'm adding to my repertoire now so I'm putting one together for um, anxiety based school avoidance and yeah. um, reluctant speaking which I think is probably more common but it's all kind of around anxiety and I am doing one on sex ed as well so it's about developing your confidence as a teacher to deliver sex ed and those kind of strategies mm, I talked yeah. about there a second ago just how to create safe space and how to deal with your own kind of uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 so um i i love it i love it like i mean it's not my end goal my end goal still is clinical psychology but um it has certainly helped me for to not be as poor as i was which is great well that's <laughs> always a bonus but you yeah. your whole face lights up when you talk uh, about it you yeah. obviously get a huge buzz from it i do i had such a lovely experience yesterday in that school um I was challenged a little bit as well, which I like. That's good. You know, I do. I like people to ask questions and kind of say, I don't know about that. But yeah, it's nice. I, I, as I said earlier, like I, I, I think it was before we started chatting officially, but school is something like teaching is probably something that's in my past. I think, I, okay. I'm probably done with teaching. I like to pop into schools every now and then, do a bit of um, something, but I love being in schools. I, yeah, I get that I get that and I love going in and sitting down mm. with staff of teachers and talking to the teachers and yeah. it, it's that connection to my my I suppose my the first part of my career with education yeah I love it yeah I love and being I in schools too and I'm like yeah. I really mm-hmm. enjoy it. Yeah. 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 yeah I really enjoy it. And we did a podcast recently enough with Kieran Golden, who's down in Cork. Yeah. And we did it in the school and we were buzzed away coming out of the school. We just had a great just being in that environment. And I think I want all teachers to hear how 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 fantastic it is to come into a school and to be welcomed and how much energy it gives to the people who are visiting and go away again from the work that they're doing. I think it's just such a privilege to be able to do it. I love doing yeah. it. I love going to school. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. They have an energy about the schools just yeah. have energy, you know, the minute you walk in the door, the kids are amazing, but also just the stuff on the walls. Yeah. You know, everything. It's yeah. Lovely. yeah. Um yeah, so I'd I would i like to think I'll always have a connection to schools and, and education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um I have a feeling that probably is going to be the case yeah. from, the way, from your work and the way that you talk, I think. But I also love and I wrote it down here about stepping into your power now, the, like that that piece that the coach has given you there because it's it is just about what where's the fear here that's stopping me doing this and just you know take yeah. a leap and see what'll happen because yeah. when you when you talk through in your head the end game mm-hmm. what's the worst that can happen it's usually not the mm-hmm. end of the world actually but in our heads we make it like that until we step into yeah kind of doing it so I love that idea I think it's brilliant yeah he mm. killed me for calling him a coach he's, he's he's resistant to that coach thing even as he said it now mm. like why do you call me coach for he's but he's he, <laughs> but you know what I think is interesting right it's like I feel like we're all on this stairway you know and there's people ahead of you and I know this is a really kind of a basic idea but I really really feel it like I th- there's people ahead of me and there's people behind me and I think my journey is so long and drawn out and anyone trying to get into clinical psychology will yeah it can be yeah, yeah. Long. 
but he passed that information to me yeah and then like I, I met this girl online um, through LinkedIn she contacted me and she was like I'm a teacher I really want to be a psychologist and I see that you're doing that and I just wonder can we connect and we became really close friends and we chat a lot like we, we talk a lot we've never met but we talk That's a cool. lot and, and I gave her that information I said that yeah. to her and I because she was like oh I don't know and what, should I leave school and what will I do and I'm not really sure of myself and and I was like, just step into your power now. Like, go and do a, do a summer course. Teach what you did in your master's. And, Brilliant. And all of a sudden, yeah. then she's doing it. Yeah. You know? And it's so like, um, like again, the women of the Will Network or something yeah. like that. You yeah. have that somebody who's a little bit ahead of you going. Go for it. Yeah, go yeah. for it. And it's so interesting that when you do take that step, you're almost a different person. It's mm. just one step. I yeah. think so. I think so. And, you know, there's so many teachers who have done have amazing ideas or have done really interesting research projects that could do really amazing summer courses and and we're crying out for them. Yeah. So like if, if there are listeners listening to this that have that, um, yeah. they should just really think about that because that something different, something yeah. edgy, something that will give something a bit of nourishment. Should be doing it big time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was talking to a teacher. And this the title, is, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, would, I wrote down. <laughs> yes, the notebook is out. But I was talking to a teacher recently, and he loves dogs, and he has a dog. He it's a school that he brings the dog to. Oh, oh man, it was so fantastic! I got to see the dog last week, which I thought was so. If you're listening, I'm still talking about you and the dog, but it was just something that he felt would be really good very calming influence and now he's training other schools and, and other teachers on I just think that's amazing should do a summer course on that I think it'd be really yeah. good I think really amazing mm-hmm. stuff going on yeah, yeah. really good yeah because like summer courses I always feel like I, I I kind of always enjoy them but I have a bit of an urge but you know when you find one like that yeah really something unique, different like, oh cool I'll, I'll do yeah. that it's really interesting yeah, yeah. Just broadens yeah. the thinking a bit. Yeah. We ask a couple of questions. So um, I shall start because <laughs> I forgot the last time and I had to be reminded that I forgot a question. So I'm going to start with a leader who most inspires you and why. Okay, I, yeah, I have a lot. Um, so I, I think um, Senator Eileen Flynn. I oh, nice. Yeah, me. yeah. I think she's unreal. I just think... Is speaking of what we were just talking about, you know, to really step into a place or this new being of somebody. Like, um, for those who don't know, Senator Eileen Flynn is from the traveling community mm. and she is a powerhouse and she's, I just in awe of her. And I just think she, she was actually in, in the, the paper a lot and in the, on social media this week because she told a story about how she got a taxi home to her halting site and the taxi driver refused to drive her in. And she brought that to, to the floor of the Shannon like and was clearly really emotional and very upset and mm. to put herself out there yeah. and, and share such a painful story and to do that and and you know not hide her emotion I love that yeah like she held it together but she she showed that and then the vitriol that she got online and her community got online it, it she just keeps stepping into those spaces where she's so vulnerable but she does it with strength and pride for her community yeah. and for herself. And like, I just think she's just, she's my hero. Yeah. And I have to throw in one for Senator Lynn Ruan as well, who's, who's just a similar character, yeah. you know, coming from um, Killinard and Tala. And I just, I love to see particularly women, men are, you know, it's great to see men doing that as well, obviously. But for me, I suppose, yeah. as a woman, I just love to see those, those women 
take enough space in love places it. where they are quite frankly made to feel very unwelcome yeah I agree absolutely yeah, yeah. love it mm. yeah brilliant really like that yeah. and the next question is looking back on your own journey is there anything that you would do differently <laughs> I, I guess we all have an inner critic, right? And my inner critic says to me all the time, like, why did you leave this so late? You're 43. By the time you get onto the clinical program and by the time you finish, you're going to be nearly 50. And by the time... And that little voice goes off in my head, like, why are you such a, a mess about in your early years and you're wasting your years and all of this? And every time it comes up, I'm like, no. Good for you. No, yeah. Like, that, those, that, that experience I had traveling was mind blowing and mm. completely life altering and it's and and even that little bit of a chaotic life that I lived at that time, I think it makes me a better therapist. Yeah. I think it does. I think I can sit in front of people, um you know, in my work and I am who I am because of all of that. Yeah. yeah. For all the failures and all the lot like not really knowing what I was doing and the difficulties so no like even though I, it is kind of annoying to be at this point in my life when you see other people like with nice cars and going on two summer holidays a year and I'm like <laughs> yeah I have a very nice time down in, in uh, Kerry this year with my family oh, oh well done oh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> well done excellent good, good, good catch there <laughs> oh we're so bad well we all know a day out of Kerry is a day wasted but we'll just leave it at that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so look no no regrets no regrets hmm. whatsoever I have plenty that I could regret but no I don't regret yeah. any of it and I am who I am because yeah. of every single piece of it yeah I love that amazing and I love that you know when you describe the journey it helped you find you know when you were traveling helped you find your passion so it actually was something really valuable yeah, um, yeah. and I, I know we chatted a bit and about circular routes and um, I've had similar journey but um, I think it it gives us a groundedness in our work yeah. that that people are drawn to I think um, I hope it makes us kinder too so I'm I'm with you on that yeah, one. Yeah, I, I think it. it's an unsaid thing as well, right? Like you just sometimes you meet people and you don't know what it is about them, but you you just and we talked about this before, yeah. like that you can just walk into someone's presence and feel safe or yeah. feel like mm. uh, uh, people do it to me a lot. People tell me a lot of stuff straight away sometimes, and my husband is always like, "How how what yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a waitress? What yeah yeah." <laughs> I think you there is a some there's some kind of an unsaid thing. Yeah. I think and and like you have to be boundaried in that. In the at the same time, I don't know. I, I think there's a kind of an unsaid piece there by those experiences. Yeah. You just kind of feel it yeah I, guess. I I think the same and I wouldn't change it about myself for a second and sometimes I might be queuing up for something and somebody will be queuing behind me and suddenly this big conversation will start there might be somebody waiting for me and then I go think, why is it always like that <laughs> but I love that or I'll sit on the train and it'll be somebody will give me their whole life story yeah. and I'll just I won't have said anything I'll just yeah. be like hello you know but yeah. and I get off buzzed I'm like oh my god yeah. this is so cool I wouldn't change that for no, not for a second no wonder we talked for like yeah, ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's really good. It's yeah, I uh, yeah yeah. Final question. Um, I love. I say final question. I'll probably ask you about three more before we finish. But um, a change or advice you would give to somebody starting out. Oh, um, yeah. I was. I guess I talked a good bit about the step into your power thing, which mm. I think is really important. But um, uh, you know, I. I, I 
I look for stuff online. I like because oh, I want it. I really want this clinical psychology thing so badly. Like I really, really do. I really want it, and it's so hard and it's so competitive. And sometimes I feel like I I look for people the same age as me. You know, I look for people with kids who've succeeded, you know, or have gotten on that path or who, again, that stepladder thing. I'm always looking for people that are a little bit ahead, you know. Um, And then sometimes people say, like, God, if if you knew it was going to take this long. I mean, I started my psychology degree in 2010. Hmm. Like, if you were, if you knew it was going to take this long, would you still have done it, you know? And, And... I go, oh, and then I go, no, I would. I would because the, the journey for me, even though there's been definitely financially, look, it's a real challenge financially. Um, but I love my work. I love my work. I love it, love it, love it. And I know that work isn't everything, but I also love my life. Money is not the most important thing to me, but I wouldn't change any of this. Yeah. I think when I just, if there's anybody down, down the path and they're thinking, you know, I am a teacher or I'm a leader. Or I just feel like I want to do something different. I think this is kind of an element for like, oh God, you leave your, your secure job and, you know, you're going to mm-hmm. lose your this mm-hmm. and you're going to lose your that. And and you are. Yeah. I'm, yeah, it is. It is. It is. But uh, if, if there's anyone thinking about it, I guess my advice to you would be uh, get some therapy first, make sure it's yeah. yeah. Um, Have a little look into that piece. But yeah, do it. Do it. Yeah. I get it completely. Yeah. I get it completely. And you're reminding me of when I made the decision to, to, to move from teaching. And I I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to challenge my mind to know what was I what was I capable of and was I was I and research had always been something that I thought about wanting to do. But I remember having to sell my car to pay my fees and yeah. thinking, That's it now, I've not what am I gonna do next? Yeah. Um and I found you find a way and you know I look at at the jobs that I had to do to to get through to do the research that I wanted to do or to to follow the career that I wanted and was it hard 100% would I do it all again in a heartbeat Um, could have been easier could have been made easier at times and came up with a lot of challenges but um, but following I always feel like when you come to the end of your journey you know when you look back will I be okay with what I did doesn't matter about the okay we have to live and feed our families and do all that stuff but will I be happy with what I did and and I hope so far I'm saying yeah Yeah. every so often I do a check like that maybe I sound a bit nuts but I I do that check to say am I happy with what I did and that hasn't changed yeah I had a big moment um we talked earlier about how I had a difficult time in my life there not so long ago and I I guess I I kind I kind of realized at that time that I was a bit of a workaholic oh no Sorry, no, I'll be honest. I was a grade A absolute workaholic, right? Related yeah, to you. Yeah, and that was my escape. <laughs> and that was my escape. And then I was like, God, I have nothing to do in the evenings. I think I'll do a master's. And, you know, I filled up every single millimetre of my time with work so that I didn't really have to think about all of this other stuff that was going on that I needed to process, right? And, like, when I did that and when I realized what I had done and I had burnt out and then I was in this okay like if I'm not my work what am I then I kind of was like wow is clinical psychology just the hardest thing I could possibly do (laughs) yeah just to make this really hard for myself do I really want to do this and I had seven or eight years behind me at this Mm -hmm. point working towards this and it was a really difficult thing to explore yeah. Like it was very difficult for me and I did have to re I took a few months to do that 
is this about I want to be a clinical psychologist because I enjoy the work or I want or is it because I want to save people is it because I want to be like the smartest person in the room and I want to have a doctor in front of my name and what what's going on there? Mm. Mm-hmm. and I and I did and I worked through it and, and in my work then in the HSE and I, no, I love the work. Yeah, yeah and, and I'm convinced the, for you too. Yeah, no, I do. And, and I've realised that it's not about saving people. It's about giving people the space to save themselves, actually. Yeah. And that they're so helping. Yeah, that's it just, well, there's loads of different things to it, but it's not about me. Yeah, I get Yeah, yeah I completely get where you're coming from. Anyone. Yeah. And I, and I know that now. Yeah. I didn't know that at the start. Yeah, but sometimes yeah. it takes a, a moment of pause and reflection on that, doesn't it, to yeah. to be sure of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's worth doing that. I think if you are going to take a big leap and leave your job, I think it is worth like, why, why, why are you what's go- yeah. going on here? Mm-hmm. Are you? Like, do you just hate where you are? If you were at a different school, would it be better? You know, why do you want this? What's your yeah? What's your goal? Yeah. You don't want to end up at the end of a big long journey and get what you want to go. Oh, uh, yeah. I get that. Yeah. I think it's really hard when you are, you've described yourself as the grade A workaholic and I, I just have to hands up and say, I, you know, I really struggle. I'm trying, but I, it, it's really difficult when I know we can, we can talk about it in a, in a light way, but actually when you do live that, it's really difficult to change that. It's, it takes a lot of work and a lot of support, but, um, but there is that piece about the courage that it takes which I'm currently in so you've tapped into something for me but the courage it takes to just stop and look and say okay what's that about now and mm. is this how do I what are the pieces that I need to move so that I will stop up and think about the things yeah. or and yeah. and for me a lot of it is avoiding grief it's about not wanting to go into that space and and but you know it catches up with you and you've got to do it but that courage that it that it takes to do that and to decide is this the right thing it's so empowering when you do it. That's the piece. But it's just so painful as well. Yeah. It's yeah. so painful. It's like we were saying about Pandora's box. It's like once you really go, okay, I'm going to stop and look into this, you don't know what's going to come out. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's hard. And sometimes it's not that bad. And sometimes it's really yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, but, but isn't that the joy of being human, though? Yeah. Uh, you know, when once we become okay with the uh, saying, okay, if the downs are coming they're not permanent the ups also come that's the growing up piece in life um, and it, it's taken me a long time to, to come to terms with the that this will pass and I was going through big things in my life I remember thinking at one point um, will it pass somebody said you know this will pass and I was like will it really you know, almost like clinging on to that idea but it does that's the joy of life is that you do move into these different phases so it's been an absolute 100% pleasure to talk to you (laughs) I can't believe I'm on your podcast I'm thrilled (laughs) so fangirling oh no no wow I no I just I'm thrilled to talk to you and I I just feel that you're I just see there's so much more coming and I just want to stay connected with you and I want to stay talking with you and I've loved it it's been an absolute privilege yeah same to both of you yeah Yeah, absolutely it's just so nice I think we're we're all on the same page we are definitely (laughs) there's no doubt that's one thing that's clear yeah yeah Yeah, thank you so much brilliant thank you